Book Four, Chapter One of The Fallen Leaves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. The Fallen Leaves by Wilkie Collins. Book Four, Chapter One. In an interval of no more than three weeks, what events may not present themselves? What changes may not take place? Behold Amelius, on the first drizzling day of November, established in respectable lodgings at a moderate weekly rent. He stands before his small fireside and warms his back with an Englishman's severe sense of enjoyment. The cheap-looking glass on the mantelpiece reflects the head and shoulders of a new Amelius. His habits are changed. His social position is in course of development. Already he is a strict economist. Before long he expects to become a married man. It is good to be economical. It is, perhaps, better still to be the accepted husband of a handsome young woman. But for all that, a man in a state of moral improvement, with prospects which his less favored fellow creatures may reasonably envy, is still a man subject to the mischievous mercy of circumstances, and capable of feeling it keenly. The face of the new Amelius wore an expression of anxiety, and more remarkable yet, the temper of the new Amelius was out of order. For the first time in his life he found himself considering trivial questions of sixpences and small favors of discount for cash payments, an irritating state of things in itself. There were more serious anxieties, however, to trouble him than these. He had no reason to complain of the beloved object herself. Not twelve hours since he had said to Regina, with a voice that faltered and a heart that beat wildly, "'Are you fond enough of me to let me marry you?' and she had answered placidly with a heart that would have satisfied the most exacting stethoscope in the medical profession yes if you like there was a moment of rapture when she submitted for the first time to be kissed and when she consented on being gently reminded that it was expected of her to return the kiss once and no more but there was also an attendant train of serious considerations which followed on the heels of amelius when the kissing was over and when he had said good-bye for the day he had two women for enemies, both resolutely against him in the matter of his marriage. Regina's correspondent and bosom friend Cecilia, who had begun by disliking him, without knowing why, persisted in maintaining her unfavorable opinion of the new friend of the Farnabys. She was a young married woman, and she had influence over Regina which promised, when the fit opportunity came, to make itself felt. The second, and by far the more powerful hostile influence, was the influence of Mrs. Farnaby, nothing could exceed the half-sisterly half-motherly goodwill with which he received amelius on those rare occasions when they happened to meet unembarrassed by the presence of a third person in the room without actually reverting to what happened between them during their memorable interview mrs farnaby asked questions plainly showing that the forlorn hope which she associated with amelius was a hope still firmly rooted in her mind have you been much about london lately have you met with any girls who have taken your fancy? Are you tired of staying in the same place, and are you going to travel soon? Inquiries such as these she was, sooner or later, sure to make when they were alone. But if Regina happened to enter the room, or if Amelius contrived to find his way to her in some other part of the house, Mrs. Farnaby deliberately shortened the interview and silenced the lovers. Still as resolute as ever to keep Amelius exposed to the adventurous freedom of a bachelor's life, 
for the last week his only opportunities of speaking to regina had been obtained for him secretly by the well-regarded devotion of her maid and he had now the prospect before him of asking mr farnaby for the hand of his adopted daughter with the certainty of the influence of two women being used against him even if he succeeded in obtaining a favourable reception for his proposal from the master of the house under such circumstances as these alone on a rainy november day in a lodging on the dreary eastward side of tottenham court road even emilius bore the aspect of a melancholy man he was angry with his cigar because it refused to light freely he was angry with the poor deaf servant of all work who entered the room after one thumping knock at the door and made in muffled tones the barbarous announcement here's somebody i wantin to see yer who the devil is somebody emilius shouted somebody is a citizen of the united states answered rufus quietly entering the room and he's sorry to find claude a golden heart's temperature at boiling point already he had not altered in the slightest degree since he had left the steamship at queenston irish hospitality had not fattened him the change from sea to land had not suggested to him the slightest alteration in his dress he still wore the huge felt hat in which he had first presented himself to notice on the deck of the vessel the maid of all work raised her eyes to the face of the long lean stranger overshadowed by the broad-brimmed hat in reverent amazement my love to you miss said rufus with his customary grave cordiality i'll shut the door having dismissed the maid with that gentle hint he shook hands heartily with emilius well i call this a juicy morning he said just as if they had met at the cabin breakfast-table as usual for the moment at least emilius brightened at the sight of his fellow-traveller i am really glad to see you he said it's lonely in these new quarters before one gets used to them rufus relieved himself of his hat and greatcoat and silently looked about the room i'm big in the bones he remarked surveying the rickety lodging-house furniture with some suspicion and i'm a trifle heavier than i look i shan't break one of these chairs if i sit down on it shall i passing round the table littered with books and letters in search of the nearest chair he accidentally brushed against a sheet of paper with writing on it memorandum of friends in london to be informed of my change of address he read looking at the paper as he picked it up with the friendly freedom that characterized him you have made pretty good use of your time my son since i took my leave of you in queenstown harbour i call this a reasonable long list of acquaintances made by a young stranger in london i met with an old friend of my family in the hotel emilius explained he was a great loss to my poor father when he got an appointment in india and now he has returned he has been equally kind to me i am indebted to his introduction for most of the names on that list yes said rufus in an interrogative tone of a man who was waiting to hear more i'm listening though i may not look like it get along emilius looked at his visitor wondering in what precise direction he was to get along i'm no friend of partial information rufus proceeded i like to round it off complete as it were in my own mind there are names on this list that you haven't accounted for yet who provided you sir with the balance of your new friends emilius answered not very willingly i met them at mr farnaby's house rufus looked up from the list with an air of a man surprised by disagreeable information and unwilling to receive it too readily how he exclaimed using the old english equivalent often heard in america for the modern what i met them at mr farnaby's emilius repeated did you happen to receive a letter of my writing dated dublin rufus asked yes 
Do you set any particular value on my advice? Certainly. And you cultivate social relationships with Farnaby and family notwithstanding? I have motives for being friendly with them, which, which I haven't had time to explain to you yet. Rufus stretched out his long legs on the floor and fixed his shrewd, grave eyes steadily on Amelius. My friend, he said quietly, in respect of personal appearance and pleasing elasticity of spirits, I find you altered for the worse. I do. It may be liver, or it may be love. I reckon now I think of it. You're too young yet for liver. It's the brown mist. That's what tis. I hate that girl, sir, by instinct. A nice way of talking of a young lady you've never saw, Amelius broke out. Rufus smiled grimly. Go ahead, he said. If you can get vent in quarreling with me, go ahead, my son. He looked round the room again with his hands in his pockets, whistling. Descending to the table in due course of time, his quick eye detected a photograph placed on the open writing desk which Amelius had been using earlier in the day. Before it was possible to stop him, the photograph was in his hand. "'I believe I've got her likeness,' he announced. "'I do assure you I take pleasure in making her acquaintance in this sort of way. "'Well, now I declare she is a columnar creature. "'Yes, sir, I do justice to your native produce, "'your fine, fleshy, beef-fed English girl. "'But I tell you this, after a child or two, that sort runs to fat, "'and you find you have married more of her than you bargained for. "'To what lengths may you have preceded Amelius with this splendid and spanking person?' Amelius was on the verge of taking offence. "'Speak of her respectfully,' he said, "'if you expect me to answer you.' Rufus stared in astonishment. "'I'm paying her all manner of compliments,' he protested. "'And you're not satisfied yet. "'My friend, I still find something about you on this occasion "'which reminds me of meat cut against the grain. "'You're almost nasty, you are.' The air of London, I reckon, isn't at all the thing for you. Well, it don't matter to me. I like you. Afloat or ashore, I like you. Do you want to know what I should do in your place if I found myself steering a little too nigh to the brown mist? I should, well, to put in one word, I should scatter. Where's the harm, I ask you, if you try another girl or two before you make your mind up? I shall be proud to introduce you to our slim and snaky sort at Cool Spring. Yes. I mean what I say, it all go back with you across the pond. Referring in this disrespectful manner to the Atlantic Ocean, Rufus offered his hand in a token of unalterable devotion and goodwill. Who could resist such a man as this? Amelius, always in extremes, wrung his hand with an impetuous sense of shame. I've been sulky, he said. I've been rude. I ought to be ashamed of myself, and I am. "'There's only one excuse for me, Rufus. "'I love her with all my heart and soul, "'and I'm engaged to be married to her. "'And yet, if you understand my way of putting it, "'I'm, in short, I'm in a mess.' "'With this characteristic preface, "'he described his position as exactly as he could, "'having due regard to the necessary reserve "'on the subject of Mrs. Farnaby. "'Rufus listened with the closest attention "'from beginning to end, "'making no attempt to disguise the unfavourable impression "'which the announcement of the marriage engagement "'had made on him.' When he spoke next, instead of looking at Amelius as usual, he held his head down and looked gloomily at his boots. Well, he said, you've gone ahead this time, and that's a fact. She didn't raise any difficulties that a man could ride off on, did she? She was all that was sweet and kind, Amelius answered with enthusiasm. She was all that was sweet and kind. Rufus absently repeated, still intent on the solid spectacle of his own boots. 
and how about uncle farnaby perhaps he's sweet and kind likewise sir perhaps he cuts up rough possible is it not sir i don't know i haven't spoken to him yet rufus suddenly looked up a faint gleam of hope irradiated his long lank face mercy be praised there's a last chance for you he remarked uncle farnaby may say no it doesn't matter what he says Melius rejoined she's old enough to choose for herself he can't stop the marriage rufus lifted one wiry yellow forefinger in a state of perpendicular protest he cannot stop the marriage the sagacious new englander admitted but he can stop the money my son find out how you stand with him before another day is over your head i can't go to him this evening said Amelius. he dines out where is he now at his place of business fix him at his place of business right away cried rufus springing with sudden energy to his feet i don't think he would like that Amelius objected he's not a very pleasant fellow anywhere but he's particularly disagreeable at his place of business rufus walked to the window and looked out the objections to mr farnaby appeared to fail so far in interesting him to put it plainly Amelius went on there's something about him i can't endure and though he's very civil to me in his way i don't think he has ever got over the discovery that i am a christian socialist rufus abruptly turned round from the window and became attentive again so you told him that did you he said of course Amelius rejoined sharply do you suppose i'm ashamed of the principles on which i have been brought up you don't care i reckon if all the world knows your principles persisted rufus deliberately leading him on care Amelius reiterated i only wish i had all the world to listen to me they should hear of my principles with no bated breath i promise you there was a pause rufus turned back again to the window when farnaby's at home where does he live he asked suddenly still keeping his face towards the street Amelius mentioned the address you don't mean you're going to call there he inquired with some anxiety well i reckon i might catch him before dinner-time you seem to be sort of fear to speak to him yourself i'm your friend Amelius, and i'll speak for you the bare idea of the interview struck Amelius with terror no no he said i'm much obliged to you rufus but in a matter of this sort i shouldn't like to transfer the responsibility to my friend i'll speak to mr farnaby in a day or two rufus was evidently not satisfied with this i do suppose now he suggested you're not the only man moving in this metropolis who fancies miss regina query my son if you put off farnaby much longer he paused and looked at Amelius. ah he said i reckon i needn't enlarge further there is another man well it's the same in my country i don't know what he does with you he always turns up with us just at the time when you least want to see him there was another man an older and a richer man than Amelius, equally assiduous in his attentions to the aunt and to the niece submissively polite to his favoured young rival he was the sort of person in age and in temperament who would be perfectly capable of advancing his own interests by means of the hostile influence of mrs farnaby who could say what the result might be if by some unlucky accident he made the attempt before Amelius had secured for himself the support of the master of the house and his present condition of nervous irritability he was ready to believe in any coincidence of the disastrous sort the wealthy rival was a man of business a near city neighbour of mr farnaby they might be together at that moment and regina's fidelity to her lover might be put to a harder test than she was prepared to endure Amelius remembered the gentle conciliatory smile 
too gentle by half with which his placid mistress had received his first kisses and without stopping to weigh conclusions snatched up his hat wait for me rufus like a good fellow i'm off to the station shop with those parting words he hurried out of the room left by himself rufus began to rummage the pockets of his frock coat a long loose and dingy garment which had become friendly and comfortable to him by dint of ancient use producing a handful of correspondence he selected the largest envelope of all shook out on the table several smaller letters enclosed picked one out of the number and read the concluding paragraph only with the closest attention i enclose letters of introduction to the securities of literary institutions in london and in some of the principal cities of england if you feel disposed to lecture yourself or if you can persuade friends and citizens known to you to do so i believe it may be in your power to advance in this way the interests of our bureau please take notice that the more advanced institutions which are ready to countenance and welcome free thought in religion politics and morals are marked on the envelopes with a cross in red ink the envelopes without a mark are addressed to platforms on which the customary british prejudices remain rampant and in which the charge for places reaches a higher figure than can be as yet obtained in the sanctuaries of free thought rufus laid down the letter and choosing one among the envelopes marked in red ink looked at the introduction enclosed if the right sort of invitation reached emilius from this institution he thought the boy would lecture on christian socialism with all his heart and soul i wonder what the brown miss and her uncle would say to that he smiled to himself and put the letter back in the envelope and considered the subject for a while below the odd rough surface he was a man in ten thousand no more single-hearted and more affectionate creature ever breathed the breath of life he had not been understood in his own little circle there had been a want of sympathy with him and even a want of knowledge of him at home Amelius, popular with everyone, had touched the great heart of this man. He perceived the peril that lay hidden under the strange and lonely position of his fellow voyager, so innocent in the ways of the world, so young and so easily impressed. His fondness for Amelius, it is hardly too much to say, was the fondness of a father for a son. With a sigh he shook his head and gathered up his letters, and put them back in his pockets. No, not yet, he decided the poor boy really loves her and the girl may be good enough to make the happiness of his life he got up and walked about the room suddenly he stopped struck by a new idea why shouldn't i judge for myself he thought i've got the address i'll reckon i'll look in on the farnabys in a friendly way he sat down at the desk and wrote a line in the event of amelia's being the first to return to the lodgings dear boy i don't find her photograph tells me quite so much as i want to know i have a mind to see the living original being your friend you know it's only civil to pay my respects to the family expect my unbiased opinion when i come back yours rufus having enclosed and addressed these lines he took up his greatcoat and checked himself in the act of putting it on the brown miss was a british miss a strange new englander had better be careful of his personal appearance before he ventured into her presence urged by this cautious motive he approached the looking-glass and surveyed himself critically i doubt i might be better it occurred to me if i brushed my hair and smelt a little of perfume yes i'll make a toilet where's the boy's bedroom i wonder he observed a second door in the sitting-room and opened it at hazard fortune had befriended him so far he found himself in his young friend's bedchamber 
the toilet of amelius simple as it was had its mysteries for rufus who was at a loss among the perfumes they were all contained in a modest little dressing-case without labels of any sort to describe the contents of the pots and bottles he examined them one after another and stopped at some recently invented french shaving-cream it smells lovely he said assuming it to be some rare pomatum just what i want it seems for my head he rubbed the shaving cream into his bristly iron-gray hair until his arms ached when he had next sprinkled his handkerchief in himself profusely first with rose-water and then to make quite sure with eau de cologne used as a climax he felt that he was in a position to appeal agreeably to the senses of the softer sex in five minutes more he was on his way to mr farnaby's private residence End of Book 4, Chapter 1 Recording by Elsie Selwyn